The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, take that C-clamp off your head and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 424 with guest Andrew Brust, recorded live Tuesday, February 3rd, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Teller, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who took a Learjet... And they made him put it back. Carl Franklin. Thanks very much. This is Carl. This is Richard. We're here for you. It's Thursday. It's Thursday. I love Thursday. Thursday's when we get to relax a little bit. You be bet. a little geeky. And uh, this uh, this show turned out to be a little bit more technical than. Than most Thursday shows, but you'll see for yourself. Hey, let's get into Better Know Framework. Funky music, dude. Funky, funky music. Play that the funky music, whack the boys. <laughs> so, what do you got for me? All right. So, uh, continuing down the WPF rabbit hole. Ah, yes. System.windows.multitrigger. This is a class. And this represents a trigger that applies property values or performs actions when a set of conditions are satisfied. So the multi is for the conditions. Right. And, uh, and the, the key here is that all of the conditions have to be satisfied before the trigger uh, happens. So it enables you to set property values or start actions based on a collection of conditions. And you can express it all in XAML. Uh, essentially, that's, that's, what it, that's how it goes. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the documentation has a great demo in there. So um, basically, you use it to drive a behavior, hopefully a visual behavior, or it shouldn't be in the XAML based on multi multiple criteria, where those criteria are some combination of property, data, or event triggers. There you go. Awesome. Multi-trigger. Love it. Learn it. Live it. <laughs> Live it. <laughs> What do you got for us? I am further to my series of emails from the from the past that I missed. And these are all shows. They usually reference a show that if you're new to this, I highly recommend you go back and listen to them. I know it's tough when there's 450 shows to, to listen to them all. But it's interesting when people call particular shows out. And this is an email just like that. And it starts, hi there, Richard and Carl. Hey. I just finished listening to your show with Dan Appleman and Kathleen Dollard on kids and computing. And that was show number 350. That was a while ago. Yeah. I am 14 years old myself and an avid .NET Rock listener and C-sharp programmer. Sweet. While I was listening to the show, I found that a lot of what you were saying was true. Being a programmer certainly doesn't get you a date on a Friday night. 
Hey, dude, you're 14. Relax. You wait till you're 44 and disappointed. Oh, yeah. It gets better. <laughs> uh, I first started programming when I was seven. And my dad taught me a bit of Python, which never really stuck. Thank goodness for that. Oh, come on. Cheap shot. I didn't pick up on programming again until I was 12, and I spent about 20 minutes with Quick Basic before my dad told me it was useless and started showing me C Sharp. Quick Basic useless? Oh, well, now, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, this is a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Since then, I've really gotten into programming, and I'm currently working on a simple 3D graphics library called Spark 3D. Cool. Anyway, I just wanted to say how much I enjoy your show and how much it helped me in learning more about .NET and programming in general. Keep up the great work. John Anthony Reimers from Ontario, Canada. John Anthony, maybe we should give him a, a shirt or something. 13's a little young to be swilling coffee, don't you think? Uh, if he's going to be a programmer, he might as well get to the caffeine now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But hey... Thanks for the great email, Johnny. We'll be sending some stuff your way. And uh, if you've got questions, comments, ideas for shows, criticism, you name it, we'd love to hear from you. .NET rocks at franklins.net. Oh, uh, yeah. And Johnny, by the way, don't listen to shows 50 through 100, okay? Just trust <laughs> me on that. <laughs> and now it's guest time. Andrew J. Brust is the chief of new technology at 26 New York a Microsoft Gold Certified Partner where he works on strategy, evangelism, and business development. Andrew's worked closely with Microsoft technology since the early 90s and has worked in software development since the mid-80s. Andrew serves as a Microsoft Regional Director and MVP, conference chair for VS Live, and a member of Microsoft's BI Partner Advisory Council. He's frequently quoted in industry trade publications including eWeek, CRN, InfoWorld, and Computer World. His latest book, Programming Microsoft SQL Server 2008 from Microsoft Press, is available wherever fine books are sold. Nice. Welcome back, Andrew. Greetings, greetings. Good to be back. And this book was um, not a solo effort, right? This was a, a group effort. Absolutely not. It was, it was a group effort, and the... the the group staffing changed a little bit. The, f the first one was such an effort that we got um, we got a colleague of ours, Lenny Lobel, to uh, to be the lead author on the second edition. So he's he's really taken a lot of uh, what ended up being disparate material and um, uh, rationalizing it and, and 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 imbuing it with extra quality. And it's a much more the continuity is much better. He's also written some brand new material uh, and updated lots of. Lots of older stuff. So it was a good book to start with. It's an it's a even better book now. Um, and we are proud of this book as we were with the first edition because rather than just covering the relational engine or some specialized aspect of SQL Server like reporting services or even analysis services, we actually, we actually cover every major component of the product. And about a third of the book does cover BI. Um, and it's a developer's book, so it covers BI for developers, uh, which means it introduces concepts because we're assuming lots of developers don't have that conceptual background. But then it really goes into chapter and verse on a lot of uh, on a lot of the APIs, uh, and also goes into some detail on how to use uh, and program Excel and other parts of Office. Uh, around the Microsoft BI stack, so and uh, business intelligence is really your forte. I mean, forte is really his forte. Yeah, yeah right. Your, no pun intended. No pun intended. Forte. forte. <laughs> but he was also uh, Stephen Forte was also one of the authors of this book, was he? He was, and and he uh, in both editions. So yeah, um, his name comes after mine. If that ah, okay, and that's important. But business intelligence really is your thing, right? Um, it's. And it's it's my thing. It's been my thing for really a long time, ever really since SQL Server Seven came out. Wow! Uh, and it's the thing that I've stayed most technical with because, uh, as I've freely admitted to you guys, I I think on a lot of technical things I've I've gone a bit soft. But um, where I've really been interested in staying hands on is uh, it's on the BI side, um, and uh, both you know again both from the tools point of view, but also from the well, and I don't think most developers know that there's a development side to business intelligence. It's just sort of something that, that happens without them. Um, that's right. Uh, and 
as with most things from Microsoft, it's more the case with Microsoft, and, and, and especially with the changes that came with SQL Server 2005 and are continued in 2008, it's an extremely programmable platform. Do you really have to be a SQL whiz to be good at business intelligence? Isn't it really all about the queries? Um, it need not be all about the query, although being being good with the query language uh, can be extremely helpful, um, and it's an it's also an extremely rare skill. But having said that, it's a different query language. It's not SQL, uh, and so uh, although I think you'll find most people in the in the specialty have a uh, good pedigree on the relational database side as well. I wouldn't necessarily name one as a as a prerequisite for the other. They're they're pretty different disciplines in a lot of ways. Um, and you certainly don't have to be because I'm not anymore all heavily into things like file groups and indexes and uh you know a lot of the kind of operational optimizational uh, finer points of of uh, a SQL server on the relational side to be really good uh, on the I side because it's not, you know, it's not about uh, operational processing of individual records uh, or rows into tables. It's much more about getting aggregate views of things and, well, looking at things more analytically. So uh, to the extent that you're comfortable with that and can go up maybe 10,000 feet conceptually, um, that probably puts you in better stead on the BI side than somebody who's who's really you know heavy and precise with uh, with uh, more of the row level um, uh, kinds of operations and optimizations. That, that so are. maybe we ought to lay down some foundational material here for those who haven't really played with business intelligence. Yeah, and it's and, been a while since we talked about it anyway. Yeah, just sort of get get the grounding concept because it's not uh, an OLTP database, right? This is different. Um, typically, that's exactly right. In fact, the whole reason OLAP is called OLAP, so why don't we start there? Um, uh, OLAP stands for Online Analytical Processing, which just sounds completely meaningless right? Until you, until you contrast it with OLTP, which is Online Transaction Processing. So basically, OLAP is an OLTP. It's analytical rather than transactional. That's probably the most important part of the acronym. Um, and rather than, you know, in, in, in very broad terms, rather than being about writing data, it's much more about reading and analyzing data that's already been written. Um, and it, BI means a lot of things. It can mean OLAP, and, and typically, typically it does mean OLAP. Um, there's also relational reporting that's legitimately part of BI. Uh, there's uh, ET, ETL, Extract, Transform, and Load tools that are legitimately part of BI, and data mining, which is legitimately part of BI. But when people just talk about BI and they're not really you know, getting any more precise than that, then typically they mean OLAP. By default, BI is OLAP, uh, although OLAP at this point may be almost an old-fashioned acronym. Yeah, but, Microsoft uh, doesn't really use the term anymore. They, they, what is the product called? Analysis Services? Right. Well, it was only called it was called OLAP Services upon debut with SQL Server 7, but as soon as they added a, a data mining feature to it in SQL Server 2000, they re, they rechristened it as as uh, Analysis Services. So we're now on the the fourth version of the product and the third version of it that's called Analysis Services. But you're right, if you burrow through all of the collateral and and literature out there on Microsoft BI, you're not going to see the phrase OLAP come up a lot. In fact, when 2005 came out, there was a bit of a marketing term applied to OLAP cubes called UDM or um, Unified Dimensional Model, and uh, and you'll still see a lot of the material refer to the cubes as UDMs, um, but really they're just OLAP cubes. And so OLAP's not a OLAP's not a dirty word, even if it's even if it's treated with some stigma. And what it's really about is taking the data um, and simply put. Uh, d defining defining numerical metrics that you want to follow and hierarchical categories that you want to be able to um, sum them up by and drill them down by. So facts and dimensions is another term? Correct. 
So those metrics are uh, more precisely called measures, but really there's nothing wrong with calling them metrics. And um, the way things work out on the data warehouse side before you build your cube is you have your measure data in a table called the fact table, and that has um, keys that relate out to uh, tables that have your categories or dimensions. Those are, again, the things you drill the measures down by. So you've got a... Uh, well, in a, in a pedagogically simple case, you have a single fact table, several dimension tables. Um, again, time and geography are, are the most typical examples of those. And, and you know, year, month, uh, week, and date might be a good uh, uh, illustration of, of a hierarchy uh, on the time side. And um, once you have fact and dimension tables, uh, then you're actually ready to go ahead and build a cube because uh, mostly what you're doing with the cube is, specifying which are which tables, and then specifying which columns in the fact table actually hold your measures. And uh, if you want to keep things simple, that's that's actually all there is to it. I got to think that there's a lot of listeners out there who have, you know, traditional SQL Server, relational model databases in their businesses, and they hear, you know, about cubes and OLAP from time to time, but don't really know how to relate what their data is to even en- enough to a cube to even ask the question: Is our data something that could benefit from from analysis services? You know, is this is this something we need? How how does how do you even go about um, determining whether or not our data is going to be uh, is going to benefit? You know, our business is going to benefit from this. Well, the snotty way to answer that is just to say yes, you do. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> But if I were to be a little less uh, standoffish than that, the the thing to think about is whether you track um, any important uh, numerical pieces of data, and um, where you could develop trends and, and discover trends. Is that what you mean? Well, yeah. I mean, just imagine sales of any of any kind, be it, be it unit sales or net sales or gross sales, and um, you'd like to understand how you're uh, doing there uh, in different contexts. Again, geography and time are two of them, but product line could be another. You want to know how individual salespeople are doing um, and maybe correlate that uh, uh, within time. Um, but uh, a way that I like to put it lately is if there's any sort of important uh, status numbers that uh, if you had them in front of you, you could immediately uh, get a good feeling about the health of your organization that you don't have a easy access to. Are there any of these numbers that you feel guilty about? Like these are just, if you're running your business properly, these are things you should just know. You should have them at your fingertips, but you don't. Um, and you maybe feel a little guilty or a little stressed by that. If that's the case, then you probably have a really good uh, use for BI technology because that's that's really what it's all about. Re- the re- the reason that these numbers seem like they should be what, why a they're so crucial and and b why they should be easy to put together but c are not is that intellectually they're very easy to calculate but um, but logistically it's a real pain in the neck. They're buried. Um, and oftentimes, because of the way relational technology works and the way the databases, well-designed databases, are uh, so heavily normalized, um, doing all the aggregation and lumping things together is, you know, not a trivial matter. So uh, companies get by with not necessarily having those numbers at their fingertips, or they make do with, you know what are still, in effect, green bar reports that come out on some periodic basis. Uh, the problem is, and especially, you know, especially in specific industries, uh, in, the, in the face of, of the rather challenging economy we're in, people should really have a much more real-time view of those things than, you know, that scenario uh, would lay out for, for folks, and that's where BI can really help. So... Um, you know that's that's my spin on it. I think BI is a very uh, recession uh, relevant kind of technology for two reasons. One is it gives you, you know, that much better handle on all the things that you should know. Um, 
but B, it's also something that helps you derive value out of assets you already have, which is all your transactional data. It's really about instrumenting your business so that you've got you know detailed information about how things are going. Did you say instrumenting your business? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. I'm going to use that if that's okay with you. Absolutely, man. I'm the one-liner guy. He's the guy. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. You probably know that about 50% of the code in most enterprise applications is dedicated to data access, and about 90% of the bugs and performance bottlenecks come from this code, too. That's why developers rely on Object Relational Mapping Tools, or ORM for short, like the Telerik Open Access ORM. It can help you build a persistent data layer in no time and squeeze out every bit of performance possible. Do you prefer to start from your database tables or from your classes? No problem. Telerik Open Access supports both forward and reverse mapping for six databases. Of course, you can enjoy link support, full Visual Studio integration, and advanced caching. With very little help from you, Telerik Open Access can quickly generate code as good as yours, minus the bugs. Tempted? Curious? Check it out today and download the free Open Access Express Edition at www.telerik.com. I'll tell you a story. Tell me if you've ever had this particular experience. So I'm, I'm consulting to an office, and it's close to the end of the month, and they've gotten me to acquire them a real heavy-duty printer, wide carriage for the green line stuff, because they dump their entire GL every month. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, it's a whole ream of paper. So this big box, 5,000-page box of paper, and they're printing out the entire GL. I'm like, why do you print the whole GL? Says, controller needs, we need to do it every month. So it runs all night. It takes like 24 hours to print this thing on this huge line printer. And when it comes out the other end, I decide I'm going to follow it, see what happens. And they carry this 20 pounds of paper into the controller's office, and they put it down on his inbox. Literally, like the inbox bends when this big pile of paper lands on it. So I just sit in his, da- I sit in his office, wait for him to come in. And he goes, oh, good. The GL is here. He picks this stack of paper up. He flips it over and tears the bottom page off that has <laughs> all the aggregate summary numbers on it. <laughs> and then starts so he- going over that. It says, just out of curiosity, is that the only page you need? He goes, yeah, I don't look at the rest of this stuff. He goes, would it be good if we just printed out the one page? And he says, <laughs> you can do that? <laughs> Excellent. Well, he's built his own scorecard, in effect. Well, exactly. You know, what? what is this whole thing except aggregating numbers together to something meaningful? Right. Um, well, I mean, and that's, so that's, that's a, a little bit um, getting into the difference between what we have been calling BI and what more contemporaneously we might call performance, uh, performance management. Um, Especially when we get into the when we get into the financial side of things. So, so um, the, this is the CFO in, in your anecdote. Yeah, it was a controller, but the same the difference, controller. you know. Same the difference. guy who's so in the, charge of the money. Right. So he's not somebody who likely wants to sit there and drill down by eighteen different dimensions. Right. Look at a few different scenarios. He really just wants to see status. Of a of a few of a few key performance indicators. So um, when we move away from kind of the, the 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 more varied possibilities we have with BI in general, and we get more to this idea of having a few uh, KPIs, key performance indicators, then we get into the realm of performance management and 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 scorecards. Um, and uh, you know the Microsoft BI stack has evolved to. Uh, to accommodate both, and uh, actually that gets us into a whole uh, uh, meaty uh, uh, area of conversation, which is the performance point product for Microsoft and and recent announcements around it. Um, yeah, right. let's, let's go right into that. Because I think there's a real jump here I, that I think folks struggle with, and I, I thought the performance point was going to address this, but I don't know the product particularly well, which is often I have these databases with reams and reams of data in it, and then I have executives that need dashboards and scorecards and sort of, like you said, performance indicators. And there's a dis- – how do I get from I have a pile of data to KPIs? Well, um, 
to some extent, a KPI is just a measure with a judgment around it. The judgment being what's, you know, what's on target, what's slightly off target, or what's really off target. Um, and I'm oversimplifying, but I'm kind of doing that on purpose because, well, sometimes oversimplifying is a way to kind of cut through the BS and, and, and at least get, you know, the 80% uh, portion of what, what a definition really ought to, ought to capture. Um, so, you know, a KPI can just be viewed that way. Uh, it really is, it's a measure with some formula for uh, dictating uh, how its status should be judged. Right. And so really what you have to do to get from, from A to B, well, to, I don't know, if, if A is still the, the transactional database, then obviously you have, you have a decent amount of work cut out for you in terms of getting to a more dimensional view of things and, and building the cube. And we can talk about that. But once you've built the cube, getting from the cube to a scorecard is, it's really just a matter of, of thinking through it. Right. And saying, okay, well, here's the universe of possibilities, and I'm definitely going to have an audience that's going to want to do exploratory work. But um, for the really busy, stressed out executive, um, and I'm just making the assumption that a lot of executives are stressed out these days, if they're running their business well, they, they should. They're paying feel, attention. They're stressed feel a out. lot of pressure. Yeah. So what do they need to feel less stressed? What do they need to feel more in control? Um, you know, I'm often and accurately accused of being a control freak. So I think that's part of why BI think calls out to me. So uh, with such resonance, because it really is about taking, you know, an information overload and distilling it down into something um, much more easily digested, uh, and and in a format where I know I can look at it whenever I need to, and look at it very quickly. And that's so that kind of jives with your anecdote about the controller just wanting to see the last page. You know, I I could imagine that that, <laughs> and I love that image of the of the inbox bending. Yeah. And 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 him saying, oh oh good. The, the new GL is here, like Steve Martin and the jerk saying, the new phone book's here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably <laughs> Right. Probably about as thick. Um, <laughs> but really, you know, uh, it, all that data is important, but what it, it, it's distillation is, is what's really going to um, make things useful. Right. And that's, perhaps that's an allegory for BI in general, which is you know, you've got rows and rows and rows of transactional data. What are you going to do with that? I mean, yes, you may need for reference purpose, you may need that granular detail to, to come back to for reference. But um, in terms of running your business and actually determining strategy, that's just raw material, and it needs to be honed into something much more refined and distilled. Are there other tools out there besides what comes in the box with analysis services that uh – that are helpful? Well, I mean, so analysis services is, is far from the whole stack, although once upon a time that's all there was, right? The whole stack for Microsoft was a platform. It, it's definitely now evolved. Um, and, you know, the first thing that goes on top of it still does come with SQL Server, and, and that's reporting services. So report a lot of people don't know this, but reporting services is actually a very able um BI presentation tool uh, because it uh, it actually has a visual query designer for doing MDX queries against OLAP cubes. Yeah, and given and because it's very programmable, very configurable, um, given enough time, you can really hammer a report or a set of reports around to give you a bona fide dashboard in a report. So, and that's especially true now with the 2008 version of SQL Server and reporting services because of the, speaking of tools, because of the visualization technology that Microsoft acquired from Dundas and the fact that that's now in reporting services, there's a there's quite a lot you can do with data visualization. Um, obviously, you know, plenty of things you can do in terms of showing aggregated data uh, in grid form. Um, you could You could show KPIs and put a, a little bit of formula-driven rendering so that, um, you know, depending on whether a value is above or below or between thresholds, it shows up as red or yellow uh, or green. 
So there's lots of stuff you can just do in reporting services, but still that's a that's a kind of a poor person's dashboard uh technology. And it's I think it's for people who have more programmer time than than cash perhaps. Um moving up from there is Excel and Excel services, which is the tie-in between Excel and, and SharePoint. And with Excel 2007, the um the capabilities in the product and their um their fidelity to the feature set and analysis services grew by uh, leaps and bounds. I mean, virtually every special feature of an analysis services cube shows up uh, inside of Excel. And Excel uh, seems to be like the favorite tool of of guys who want to do analysis. Certainly, the thing, place where a lot of execs hang out. They just they get Excel. Right. I think you know whether. Think Excel is a is a is a, a perfected uh, application or not? Uh, same could be said of Outlook. So many people spend so much of their time there that you know debating its perfection is kind of beside the point. It's you know it's intuitive for people uh, if by nothing else than through sheer rote uh, experience because everybody's spending so much time there. So. Excel is the place where lots and lots of analysis happens, and you know the irony is even people who uh, eschew the Microsoft stack and go to somebody else like uh, IBM slash Cognos or Oracle slash Hyperion, um, all those stacks are still somewhat judged on usability grounds in terms of what they can push back into Excel. Um, and while we still ha- we've only alluded to the uh, announcements around performance point, Microsoft uh, with with those announcements has definitely embraced the strategy that Excel is the BI client, um, and that's that's a compelling strategy for them because rather than them having to you know build an export feature or an add-in uh, for Excel to get stuff done, they actually own that franchise and. You know, I suppose this could be argued a little bit, but I, I wouldn't argue against the following statement, which is that nobody's going to do analysis inside of Excel better than Microsoft. Right. So they are really uh, pushing forward with that strategy. And, and, and just to tease out what this announcement was, the performance point product, which is, is the thing that's um, at, the, at the top of the stack, really, uh, is in effect being discontinued as a separate product and the monitoring and analytics portions of uh, performance point are uh, actually going to be bundled in with SharePoint. Uh, so performance point server will uh, morph into something called performance point services. And then I think with the next version of SharePoint in Office, Office 14, SharePoint 14, we're going to see a lot of those capabilities. We don't, this is based on some speculation, even for me. Uh, but I think we're going to see a lot of those capabilities um, really uh, integrated natively into those products. Well, and what we're seeing here is like Microsoft bundles analysis services in with SQL Server. So if you own SQL Server, you own analysis services. And by essentially pushing all of the client technologies as part of Office, well, now if you own Office, you have all the client technologies. Right, right. And well, and it, it and but we should define Office in that case as including. Uh, off of SharePoint server. Right. Um, so there really is that synthesis between SharePoint, Office, and SQL Server represent all of the licenses essentially around using business intelligence for Microsoft. That's right. And so Microsoft is going more for a volume play than a specialty play. And, you know, I happen to think that's that's the right strategy. There are Definitely partners out there who are not happy about this announcement are feeling somewhat abandoned and um, very surprised. Uh, so it's not, it's not an announcement without controversy. Uh, and it does, it does put Microsoft's uh, credibility and sort of uh, complete soup-to-nuts BI strategy uh, you know, a, a bit in question. I will say that. But... I think for a host of reasons, they needed to make a decision to change things. And I think if you weigh all the options, they they went the right way. And certainly they went the way that's consistent with 
you know, with their playbook, which is to really leverage the franchise that they have on the client, which is Office. And, you know, the, the franchise that they have with SharePoint, which is growing to the same stature and ubiquity uh, as, as the Office client franchise. Right. I, I mean, it's, it's, so this will help BI. I believe this will help BI partners because suddenly the install base for what the performance point monitoring and analytics products can do is, uh, has grown, uh, and we don't have to sell the product anymore. Um, and, um, and it's going to, uh, it's going to be a great help for the customer because suddenly, well, either their licensing cost has been reduced or more likely, um, you're going to see, uh, business unit level initiatives that can, that can dip their toes in the water or, you know, or better yet, get knee deep with BI. Um, without there being quite the barrier to entry that there was. This isn't about going out and buying a separate product. It's about getting better usage out of something they already have. Well, and that, that seems to be Microsoft's claim to fame for business intelligence all along. This used to be, before Microsoft started playing in this pool, a quarter-million-dollar proposition for companies like Assbase and and uh, um, MicroStrategy, those kinds of guys. This was expensive software. Sure, and and it's still um, it still does involve significant license uh, outlay uh, on those other stacks. I, uh, you know, the the spread has narrowed somewhat, but um, those are still uh, premium priced a uh, premium priced option. Um, and you know, Microsoft, as you said, has always gone more of the commodity democratized route in terms of pricing but i think given the way the economy is right now they're even for them they're getting aggressive uh, and i think that's smart i also think though that you know conversely when uh, performance point came out you know to a microsoft audience it, it seemed rather expensive now i you know microsoft's rationale and i i know this cuz i was you know, involved in some of the conversations in terms of how the licensing and pricing would be structured, Microsoft's rationale was we're coming out with a product that's, you know, comparable to these specialty products from what were then still pure play companies because um, some of the consolidation that's now in place ha- hadn't been yet. Um, and we're charging much, much less than they are. Um, the thing is, I don't, even if that's true, I don't know if that's real compelling to Microsoft's customer base, that, that kind of logic. Um, and, you know, this would be off topic, but I think you could invoke that same, uh, that same question around, around team system and team foundation server. Uh, in that it's, it, it's much cheaper than its competitors, but it's much more expensive than, you know, what Microsoft uh, developer universe people are, are used to paying. So, so now what they've done in in, fa- in effect is is pulled back from that and said, you know what, we're going to we're going to include this with the with the pieces you have already. So where does the developer play in all of this? There are lots of places for the developer to play depending on how far up or down the stack you want to go. Um, starting at the bottom, there are various APIs uh just for building your own applications around Analysis services cubes or, or data mining models, even though we're, you know we're not we're not talking about those a lot today, um, and that's it, to some extent that's left over from the days when analysis services was the stack, right? So the only actionable way for Microsoft partners to add value to that was to build their own custom applications and really get heavy into the query language and, and um, wrap around cubes the way they they wrap around databases now, right? You know, and and but that model still works, and it, actually, it's still pretty compelling because um, what changed when .NET came out and when Analysis Services 2005 came out was um, that the artery or the the, the route into um, querying, programmatically querying a cube, rather than being something that looked like ADO, right? Going back to pre .NET 
we had something called ADOMD. Well, now what we have is something called ADOMD.net, but that's not really a separate thing. It's actually implemented as an ADO.net provider. So now the way you query a cube and the way you query a relational database to some extent are almost the same. And a lot of the data binding tricks that work in .NET against relational databases will work against cubes. So it is now possible to write uh, ADO.NET code um, and uh, issue an OLAP query using MDX rather than a, than a relational query using SQL, bring back the results and bind them to a grid. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with that because that does not involve a lot of work. Um, the, the, the more labor-intensive things that you used to be able to do, you still can do. And to some extent, if you're bringing back queries that have, um, instead of just having a rows and columns access to them, have, have multiple axes, uh, you may want to do things a little differently. But if what you want to do is something quick and dirty against the cube, and oftentimes that's all you need, by the way, uh, you can do that, and most .NET developers already have, you know, probably 95% of the skill set they need to. And to get the other 5%, uh, <laughs> just uh, read a couple of chapters in our book, and, <laughs> and you'll be all the way there. And that sounds, you know, that sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. There's there's not there's not much distance to cover. It's really learning your way around MDX. Um, yes, but, uh, you know, the thing is, MDX, it's, uh, I, I use this analogy a lot with a lot of things, but it's, it's sort of like the Sunday New York Times. You don't have to read the whole thing. You can just have your favorite <laughs> sections and, and stick to that and still look very forward to getting the paper on Saturday night or Sunday morning. Um, so you can learn a very small subset of MDX, and if all you want to do is say, look, I want this dimension on the rows and this one on the columns and these, this is the measure or these are the measures that I want, that, that's very easy. Now you can do much more sophisticated things with it, with MDX. For example, if, you know, you want to look at quarterly results and compare that with a quarter ago and a year ago quarter and, um, you can do that. And if you get really good at MDX, you can do all that stuff in a single query. So that's, that's your reward for learning the query language really well. Um, but you don't have to do that. And, you know, the other thing is the further up the stack you go, the more the MDX is written for you. Uh, as with most things, that can be good or that can be bad. But the other thing to keep in mind is that because the stack goes up to reporting services and then goes to Excel and Excel services, um, all the uh, interesting kinds of development you can do inside of Office with, with Vista, with Visual Studio Tools for Office, um, uh, becomes extremely useful if you want to build a custom, a custom BI application. So you can create an Excel add-in that is, you know, a bona fide dashboard solution that will live inside of Excel and then has the ability to get up to SharePoint um, by using Excel services to export some of the some of the things that you build programmatically. And I have demos and talks where I, I do just that. Um, and it's, it's not hard. One of the cool things about Excel 2007 is they actually extended the formula language to enable you to bring back OLAP results right inside of cells. So there's seven new, uh, I think it's seven, new formula functions in Excel, all starting with the word cube. And those allow you to bring in specific cells from a cube or a specific member of a dimension. Um, and why that's important is because prior to this version of Excel, the only way you could bring back OLAP results was inside of pivot tables. And pivot tables are fine, except they're not real cells. And they don't, you know, they don't allow the kind of formulaic manipulation, uh, further formulaic manipulation that, that, a, that a, a conventional cell would. So the pivot table stuff still works. It works very well. And in fact, there's even a function that allows you to build the pivot table and then convert that entire pivot table to cube formulas. Um, there's just a, there's a drop down button on a ribbon that lets you do exactly that, which by the way is a real good way to teach yourself those formula functions because you can uh, do it sort of pointing and clicking with the pivot table stuff and then look at the generated formulas. But because all that is doable and because Visto makes it possible to, um, you know, programmatically insert formulas that are parameterized inside of cells, inside of worksheets, and then build charts, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, 
you know, a developer, especially a developer comfortable with Office and those object models, uh, who also knows BI can, I mean, do amazing things. And then at the top of the stack with performance point, there are little developer hooks. So, um, uh, I, if I'm not, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, you can actually create your own report type um, and bring that in as a section of a dashboard. Uh, you can, I believe, build your own, uh, even your own data providers, so that the KPIs in your dashboards can be coming off of, you know, some proprietary unstructured data. Uh, or some, you know, some some database that might be non-traditional and and not uh, uh, might not have an ADO.NET provider for it, et cetera, et cetera. So the hooks are all over the place. The other thing, going back down uh, to the cube level, is that you can actually build, in effect, um, managed uh, .NET uh, 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 functions or even even stored procedures in a way. But let's stick with functions. You can actually write functions in .NET, compile those into an assembly, load the assembly into an analysis services database, and then those functions become available to you in your MDX queries when you're going against the cube. Hmm. Wow. So, I mean, you know, if anything, there's almost, there's almost too much. <laughs> there's almost too much available to developers. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActorReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActorReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Well, that brings me to this question: Is what kind of developer, um, what kind of developer is the is the best con? Like, what are the qualities you see in a developer to to put them on uh, uh, an analysis services project or a portion of a project? Like, are you looking for people who are whiz at math or who have good abstract qualities or or seem to figure things out, figure out strange things and abstract things quickly. There's database guy, a typical database guy going to work. There's a couple of different. There's a couple of different personas. I mean, um, the people who tend to be really good as BI purists are people who have some. Well, either have a lot of background working with data and databases, and just have kind of a, a, a ponderous intellectual outlook on things. And 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 also, in addition to having all that database experience, have so much of it that they're a bit bored by it. Oh, look, looking to do something more intellectually rich, if you will. Well, you know what? And, you fall into this trap when you're good with querying, where you become the OLAP cube. I, dude, I remember this. I, yeah, I, right. I, you I, make the report the guy asked for. He he runs away with it, and he comes back and says, "Now, can you change this and this?" And you you run the query again with a couple of changes, and then you do it again. You are the OLAP. There was cube. one summer in the '90s where I think I wrote 150, 160 complex store procedures, and that, sure. that's exactly what I remember thinking. Man, this is getting boring. Sure. So to the, I mean, if you're the report monkey, but you're the report monkey with a soul and a brain, um, <laughs> that, that probably that probably uh, uh, makes you well suited for this work because you kind of need to think about the kinds of questions those those guys who come to you as as the gopher, as the query gopher, um, might have to answer. And if you can think through those, then you can probably get a good sense of what the dimensions and measures in a cube ought to be. Design the cube really well. Design, um, by the way, MDX isn't just useful for uh, uh, query time. It's also useful for um, building calculated expressions that live in the cube. Right. So not every measure needs to be pre-calculated before the cube is loaded. Some, some measures can be calculated measures that are form- formulaic manipulations of the base measures that are already there. So if you're if you're that kind of person, then you, I think you're going to be really really good at doing 
the data warehouse design and the cube design, um, and hopefully also good at some of the important optimizations, right? Because cubes are, I mean, look, a simple cube is just a cube. But um, as things get bigger and scale and, and as you get to the point where you're loading data a lot more frequently, you're going to want to partition these cubes, often along timelines. So you might have a partition per day uh, or per month, or you might have a partition per day per product line or, or something along those lines. Because um, as the data is loaded, the cube needs to get reprocessed. And the last thing you want to do is have to reprocess the entire cube every single time, but you kind of you need to be you need to be thoughtful about the the, the, the patterns that the the data workflow is is going to follow. And so again, if you've been in that position of having to uh, produce a lot of very customized uh, queries and answers for people, then you're probably going to be somebody with the forethought to to do good good BI design. Um, so that's that's one persona. Another persona, though, is somebody building building applications or building dashboards. Um, and you know, these aren't mutually exclusive. They're just they're different personalities or they're different uh, they're different specialties. And some people have combinations of them. Uh, it's very rare, really, for us to find somebody who's really sort of into the BI stuff and is also really strong with .NET development. Right. Um, to the extent that you can fashion yourself into both, I think um, you give yourself a, an extremely rare skill set. And while I won't say that that's your ticket to you know recession proofing, um, it isn't a bad trick. Uh, it's not a not a bad feather in your cap. Uh, these skill sets are still really hard to find. You put it this way: I mean, we see a lot more of these skills showing up on people's resumes, but the skills are still really hard to find. Ah, even though people... Well, and, in, and in, a, in a tough market, or in any market, these are distinctive talents. It's worth sort of chomping on these bits. The question is how many projects there are uh, where folks really see this. I know I've had more than one a case when I was playing an OLAP in the early days where just showing an executive the ability to slice and dice data himself, instantly he wanted it. He, he because that whole you know recreating the report thing that iterative report process it sucks just as much for the other end he wants to think faster right he wants to be able to change his mind and drill on that data quickly and when you can show him a tool that does that they get really stoked yeah you need you need the right educated consumer to appreciate that power but i mean when you have that person um there that person will usually be you know, mesmerized because, you know, the point of a well-designed BI solution is that you can get answers back quickly and um, and answers to very ad hoc questions. And if you can get them back quickly and you can be ad hoc, you can sort of, you can, you can get over the, the, I don't know, the intimidation factor around asking the questions in the first place. And you can ask a lot more of them. Um, suddenly something that, you know, well, you kind of had to get over the, the social inertia of, of, of going to that back room and asking Carl to write the 150th query today. Um, if you don't have that friction in between and all you have to do is, you know, touch your mouse and drag and drop some things, well, that's very liberating. And then if that comes back real fast, well, you can keep going and going and going. Um, and and uh, for some people, you know, the value of that is, is quite apparent and you know and really compelling. Other people don't necessarily see that value. They're you know, people can be very jaded uh, and very excited about the same things. So some people will say, yeah, so okay, you know. And these stories start to buzz a little bit. You know, you can you can drill down by anything. You can figure out the answer. To, okay, yes, I've heard that seventeen times before. Um, somebody has to be at a certain. They need to be past a certain uh, threshold level of hands-on, I think, before that value really starts to become compelling. Um, but where I think things get really interesting is if you can get even past that and start to get to this scorecard scenario and have it so that 
I don't really like the word dashboard because it seems to imply like a whole project and a whole initiative and a whole different way of thinking. And I'd rather just sort of um, get people excited about this idea of, okay, look, there's three or four or five KPIs that are really important to the way your business runs. What if I just, you know, what if I just add a little panel in Outlook so you can always see those? Right, and then what if we what if we drive that down to the business unit level, and everybody has that in their Outlook Today screen, or you know somewhere along the ribbon? Um, wouldn't that be cool? Then everybody's always got their eye on the prize, you know. Which, right. What would you think of that? So um, you know that's a message we're taking to market, um, and we'll we'll see how that goes. But um, people people really need to start to get in the mode of thinking of you know how 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 they can be, especially in the financial industry where where the regulatory regime is going to get obviously more uh, you know uh, more heavy. Um, yeah. How can how can people just you know to 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 me the way to deal with lots and lots of new requirements that seem egregious is to form new habits so that you're in compliance. And you, it's not a special effort. Well, that seems like a really good way to get in a habit, right? If it's just if that if that important information is just always in front of you, then you don't you know you don't have to do hugely disruptive changes in behavior to to get that to be part of everybody's day and everybody's ethics. Um, so obviously, I'm you know I'm I'm a strong proponent of this technology. And in terms of developers out there listening, you know. I, I think the way the market is right now, that some combination of these skills and pure SharePoint skills uh, put you put you in a very good place because um, there's still shortages in these areas, right? And it's hard to talk about shortages of any kind of skill set uh, right now. So um, to the extent that they exist and and nobody's rushing to fill them, that's a, to me that's an exciting opportunity. But these are not things you pick up in a you know. They're not things you pick up in a few weeks necessarily. Right. I think it takes a good project first. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And I think, well, you know, there's different, there's really, there's a stratification here. There's there's different levels because you can be very productive and, and, and very valuable on a project um, with a certain amount of experience. But I also think if you've gone through several of these projects, then you really start to get a good sense of, you know, the pitfalls and, mistakes people make and mistaken assumptions people have and um, and uh, uh, that you know there's definitely room for for productive pr- productive but relative newcomers and and also for you know uh, sage wisdom right so there's you know there's always further you can go and uh, it also I think it also helps if you have experience with lots of different data platforms Rather than say just the Microsoft one, not 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 a necessity, but something that really helps. Andrew, we're about out of time. Any uh, last minute things you want to mention? Resources? Um, hi, mom. Anything like that? Hi, mom. <laughs> the, the other part of the, the other part of the performance point thing is that the planning component is uh, is going to be revved once more with the service pack, and then and then it's done. So it'll be interesting to see if. Stepping out of that part of the market for Microsoft is is ultimately liberating because it lets them focus on on what's more traditional and comfortable for them, or if it if it causes a credibility issue. I don't have a good answer for that, but I think everybody should pay attention to it. Strategically, it's going to be important for the whole for the whole stack. Thanks a lot, Andrew. It was enlightening as always. Sorry I couldn't participate a little more, but uh, but I, I, I'm hanging on. <laughs> <laughs> I got a big mouth. It's okay. No, it's good. You more than made up for it. We'll see you folks next time. .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. 
online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.